Mike, what are we talking about in today's episode of Moving the Goalposts? Uh, today we break down the Celtics moving past the Toronto Raptors and look forward to their series with the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And we also break down a wild week one in the NFL. Mm. And later on in the episode, I will tell my story of my adventure in New York City last week, or kind of. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, review, and tell a friend. Moving the goalposts wherever you listen. It's just a public service announcement sponsored by Just Blaze and the good folks at Rockefeller Records. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is O, O, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the O-Z. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Moving the Goalposts, New England's number one sports podcast for anyone who finally felt like yesterday was a normal day. My name's Nick Mara, and I am joined by my co-host, Mike Masala. Mike, how are you now? Doing well, brother. How are you? Not so bad. You can check out our social media profiles on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at NickMara94. Mike, where can the listeners reach you? You'll find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala or on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Be sure to follow along with us on our Moving the Goalpost social media as well. They can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Moving the Posts. Down three. Shot partially blocked. That may do it. OG commits the foul. All right, so Mike, like I said in the introduction of today's episode, we finally felt normal yesterday. We're we're changing our recording schedule, everybody, by the way. This is why... The episode wasn't released at 5 a.m. like it normally is on Mondays. So it's 10 o'clock in the morning right now on on Monday. But uh, we wanted to be able to talk about everything from the weekend in full detail and give you the most recent commentary as possible. So we're going to start releasing our Monday episodes uh, later in the afternoon, maybe around like 12, 2 o'clock. But bear with us. We'll we'll figure things out. But we're going to keep giving you the content that you guys all love. Um, but yeah, yesterday, Sunday, first week of the NFL season was absolutely a blast to watch. We finally had some level of normalcy back in our lives. And by normalcy, I mean, continuing to sit on our couches all day inside watching (laughs) nothing but TV. So, uh, not much different than quarantine, but at least there was, uh, football on our screens and we'll definitely get to football. We'll get to NFL. We'll get to all the top storylines. Obviously we'll cover a little bit of the Patriots, but uh, on Wednesday's episode, we'll probably go a lot more into detail about the Patriots game against the dolphins. And then a look into their week two game against the Seattle Seahawks. But we wanted to start off today's episode talking basketball. Last we spoke, the Celtics were uh, in control of their second round series against the Toronto Raptors, but, there was kind of a little bit of tight sphincter symptoms going on in, uh, in the city of Boston because after that game three uh, last-second victory by Toronto, things started getting a little, uh, a little tight around here. But Boston did end up taking care of business. They performed well in game seven. They did move on. They are going to be taking on the Miami Heat. Mike, I just want to know what your kind of like your final thoughts were about the series against Toronto. What, uh, what, what do you think it means for this Celtics team, not only for this next round, but moving forward as well? I think the Celtics ended up performing well down the stretch. Obviously game six, uh, game six and seven happened since the last time we talked uh, in game six. Uh, we saw the double overtime thriller that the Celtics ended up losing in that game. Um, and 
for as tough as it was to see them lose, I think it was entertaining. Like that second overtime with everybody hitting shots left and right was, was one of the most wildly entertaining, like five minutes of basketball I've seen in a while. Um, but you also have to get on Kemba a little bit. And I've been the one to get on Kemba all year. Five points in 52 minutes is not going to cut it for a guy you paid 30 plus million dollars to. Um, well, neither only... is not playing at all. Right. And, Which and, is you know... what the other $30 million guy is doing. And look, I, I, not to step on your toes or anything, but this is the problem with the Celtics. Their best players are their young players that are on cheaper contracts. And every max deal that they've given out really has been a little bit of a disaster. I mean, you could say Al Horford worked out pretty well, but the Hayward contract has not been good. We'll see what happens with the Kemba contract. But like you said, he has to perform in these games. He, he has right. To. Right. He, ha- he has to step up. I looked up after that game, uh, players who have played 50 plus minutes in a game and scored five or fewer points. And it's like nine players in the history of the NBA and almost all of them are centers. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So it's, it, it's just really bad optics from that perspective. You want to see somebody step up and, and thankfully he played better in game seven. Um, but when you need that closer and that the game's on the line, the series is on the line, you want your, your high-priced high free agent to step up. And uh, I was a little disappointed by what I saw in game six. And then to move on to game seven, uh, obviously a better defensive matchup and a little bit of a sloppier game too. I felt like there were a lot of turnovers left and right from both sides. Um, but to hold a team under 90, especially in the playoffs, is pretty impressive. Uh, again, you got pretty solid performances from Tatum and Brown, both scoring over 20. And once again, the consistency from Marcus Smart coming up big in the playoffs is really, unreal. It, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, we I could not have expressed more going into really just the postseason. How not an anti-Marcus Smart guy because I was a self-admitted like Smart fan, but I kept saying mm-hmm. it's like I love his intensity, I love his aggressiveness, I love him on the defensive end. I fucking hate it when he flops though. It's so <laughs> bad, and he still does it. But now it's he like does. he's he's figured out a way where I mean the the back and forth between him and Lowry this series was kind of funny just at, at how how badly each one of them were embellishing and flopping. But the way that he does it now at least is a little bit more acceptable because it's yeah. he's also initiating contact it's not like he's just standing there and trying to take an imaginary charge like I, I was on twitter and uh someone tweeted out like it was either a gif or a video of a, a chandler parsons foul that he tried to draw <laughs> where he was like where parsons had the ball and he was trying to like switch positions or pivot or something and smart just absolutely flops like Parsons' hand or his elbow was probably like 18 inches away from Smart's body, and he goes down like he was fucking sniped from 300 yards away. It was it was hysterical, but I don't see it to that extent anymore. Now it's more of like if him and somebody else are going up for the ball, and he, as soon as he feels contact, like that's when he's going to go down, and that's kind of like the nature of the sport. Right. Like you really don't hear soccer fans defending soccer players for flopping or embellishing because they just accept that it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see the NBA be cleaned up a little bit more, but these guys are so big. They're so fast. They're so strong. I wouldn't want to take a charge against LeBron James. If he's coming at me running, you know, 25 miles an hour or however fast. No, certainly he's going. Not. <laughs> like, 
I'm no physics major by any means, but I understand how physics works in a uh, in an example like that, and it's <laughs> doesn't seem like it's a lot of fun. It seems but, like it's uh, gonna hurt a, a lot. What um, what did you think about Tice this series? I was pleasantly surprised in his ability to kind of match up against some of the Toronto bigs and uh, defend on ball, defend off ball, and uh, make some some pretty big shots throughout the the series as well. Yeah, he was able to step up as probably their best role player like behind Marcus Smart. I think especially in game six when, when they really needed somebody, they were finding Tice inside. I think it was, I think it was game six, the Smart alley-oop to Tice in the f- closing minutes. Um, pretty much every time that they were going to him, he was, he was able to, to score. The thing is, like, he never gets the calls. <laughs> no, like, he doesn't. I, I think – I think it was game six. He scored 18 points and he was at the line zero times. Like that's he, crazy for a guy who lives in, in the, in the key. He does kind of bitch and complain a lot though. Well, like, that's the entire, again, it's the entire nature of the sport. And it's especially Jason Tatum gets told that he bitches every second, which he does. Which he, yeah, of course he does. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because going into the series, we were talking about uh, Nick nurse and I had made the comment that Nick nurse was the most valuable asset to the Toronto Raptors team. I said he was their best player. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think to myself now, maybe it's not that he's the most valuable asset to their team in terms of like coaching ability, but it's just how he manages the roster. Like he understood the matchups. He understood that it was probably more beneficial to have a Baca coming off the bench and providing a little bit of a spark as well as some, some, some good interior defensive presence. Anytime you wanted to have Kemba Walker or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, slashing to the basket and trying to finish at the hoop. Uh, Abaka was going to be there, and he can also, on the offensive end, step out beyond the arc and hit the three. So he's the perfect modern-day big. I don't really know what else Nick Nurse does well except complain to the refs. It's like, oh, and, he, and he's on the court, too. Like, if you, if you need him, well, you need I him mean, to be on the court, he'll be there. That happens in every sport. <laughs> Just ask Mike Tomlin. It's just not – well, that's like the biggest example, and right. he was penalized for that. <laughs> yeah. I but, haven't heard anything about Nick Nurse being on the court and, and being penalized for or fined or whatever for, for that play. You know what? It's tough to penalize a coach that's not playing anymore. That's true. That's mm. true. Maybe we'll wait till next year. But what I will say about him is his ability to bitch and complain to the refs covers up for a lot of what the, the Toronto players do. It's It's almost like – He's the bad guy, and the, the Raptors players are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And in Boston, it's the exact opposite, where Stevens keeps his mouth shut the entire time. Very rarely will he start to kind of question a call that was made against his team or, or for the other team. Um, but he never, he never gets the benefit of the doubt. It seems as though every single time he does so, the refs just kind of look at him and laugh him off. And it's the players that are the ones who are going to, yell and bitch and complain and whine and get in the officials ears and I would typically say that it's the responsibility of the coach to do that like I'm not one for complaining to refs I look at them as the third team they make mistakes just like the home team and the away team make mistakes and I'm not going to yell at the other team that I'm playing against if they make a mistake and so it's it's this whole theory that I have about officials that goes back years um but I just think to myself that if Stevens had a little bit more of a backbone and a little bit more of a, a, a set on him and he got in the official's ear a little bit more, maybe more of the calls would go their way. Like it just yeah. it sucks to say that, but maybe they would. 
the elephant in the room when it comes to basketball and officiating is always this guy, Scott Foster. And that was the number one storyline that I kept hearing on, on radio, on TV, on the internet was Scott Foster's ref in game seven, Scott Foster's ref in game seven. For those of you who don't know who Scott Foster is, he was not implicated or was implicated like 10, 15 years ago with Tim Donaghy during the, the, the sports betting gambling investigation that was going on in the NBA where Tim Donaghy, who was an, an old NBA ref, was literally betting on games that he was uh-huh. refing. He That's not some games, yeah. and he was calling Scott Foster after every bet he made. Yeah, it was like it, over the course of one day, I think there were five separate phone calls that Scott Foster uh, made to Tim Donaghy, or, or vice versa. And Donaghy, at the time, these are the reports he had uh, two phones. He had his regular personal phone, and then he had like a burner phone that he used for his bets. So he was mm-hmm. calling his bookie, and he was calling anybody else that was going to be involved in in those bets, and including Scott Foster, who continues to ref in the NBA. Right. I don't it's, get it. How can they allow that? Like it, how, It's ludicrous that it's still happening. How? I don't understand how the owners can be for it, how the Players Association can be for it, and how the fans can be for it. Like Everybody should be on the same page with this guy and say, get him out of the league. There's, like, there's no solid proof that he's dirty. It's not like you have to keep him around. It's not like it's a fucking state union job where he has pension or anything like that and or tenure. And if you fire him, he's going to sue you. It's like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But at the same time, I do. The NBA likes to have control over things. I mean, there's just I, I, no other way around it. I wonder if the ref, like, because I know there is a ref union. I wonder if the ref union is more powerful than we make it seem. Because like in the MLB, the whole thing with uh, Angel Hernandez mm-hmm. is that he's like suing the MLB because he doesn't get games when in reality it's because he's a terrible umpire. Right. But they're saying it's because he's, he's trying to say it's like a racist thing. So, but in, in reality, like you're just bad at your job. So you're not getting like the big important, you're not getting world series games. Like that, that's exactly how you want to do that. So the question that I would have is these umpires, they obviously have to sign contracts and the, the, or- Officials just in general, refs. Mm-hmm. They sign contracts. I don't know if they get paid by the game or if they get paid by the year. I would assume that they get paid by the year because I think that the number one thing you always hear among refs is there's no, no such thing as a home game for an official. You have to travel everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so your travel is paid for. Your food is paid for during travel. And your, what's the third aspect? Hotels. Like your living situation is paid for when yeah. you're traveling. I'm going to assume they get paid year by year. So you could do one game. You could do 82 games. You're going to get paid the same amount of money. And it's not as though these contracts are lifetime contracts. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just all of a sudden come into the NBA or NHL or NFL or MLB as an official. You sign on the dotted line in your first year as a rookie uh, ref. And then all of a sudden you do it for the next 30 years, 40 years, and nobody can tell you that you you have to leave. It's not like you're a Supreme Court justice. I was just going to say that. It's not. not. So why isn't this guy gone? It it honestly makes no sense. Unless he has, maybe he has dirt on like the owners that they were involved somehow. That's a good point. 
conspiracy theory time. I like one that of these one. owners was involved and he was also making tons of money in this whole situation. And he said, Hey, if, if I, if I'm gone, you guys are all gone. You're, everybody's going down with me. Who's the most scumbag owner in the NBA? James Dolan, probably, right? Uh, definitely the worst owner, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... But would he be involved in like a, a gambling conspiracy? I just don't know if he's smart enough for that. James Dolan? Yeah, I think he's kind of dumb. He's got his own band. What is it, like JD and the Two-Tones or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, that's the stuff he's worrying about instead of trying to win games. So, right. I mean, maybe, maybe he is involved in something like this. Who knows? I just, um, you know, getting back to the actual basketball game itself, because of course that's what we're all here for. None of us care about the officials at the end of the day. We don't uh, game seven. I thought was actually a step in the right direction for Boston, even though this whole bubble scenario is, is kind of unique. It's very unique. It's never happened before. And we don't necessarily know how to value these wins just yet. I would say that this Celtics team who's been chipping away in the Eastern Conference over the last five years now, being able to knock off not only the defending Eastern Conference champion, but the defending NBA champion, with or without Kawhi Leonard, with or without uh, Danny Green, with or without Pascal Siakam playing well, it's going to give them a momentum shift, I believe. In, in a place where momentum just does not exist in the bubble, they're at least going to be able to go into this conference final against Miami and say, all right, well, to get here, we had to beat Philadelphia, who was one of the favorites going into the season, and we also had to beat Toronto, who are the defending NBA champions. Now, Miami's got some pull as well, because what they were able to do against Indiana, who I thought was one of the hottest teams coming into the postseason after the resumption of the bubble play and then obviously taking down Giannis and Milwaukee in five games, really four games. It was the, the most gentleman of the gentlemen's <laughs> Um, That's impressive. So they're obviously riding momentum. The Celtics are riding momentum going into this conference final, which is going to start tomorrow night, Tuesday uh, tip off. I think it's actually at six 30, six 30, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that's a perfect time. I was, I had to get up in the morning for work on Saturday, not super early, but game, game seven was Friday and it's a nine o'clock tip off. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh man, this game should be over at nine o'clock, especially yeah. when you've got like two West coast teams that are playing the seven o'clock, six thirty game. It just didn't make any sense. Like, I know you want to have game seven in prime time, but I mean, could we make it like an eight o'clock start? That would be nice. <laughs> I, I get the eight, eight thirty thing. Cause you want the West coast fans to be at least out of work, quote unquote, whatever work is these days. Yeah. Um, but like set six 30 to seven 30, that's the perfect start time. That's what you really want to get into. It is. So if, if they, if they could just keep all games in that window, I'm down for it. Well, and that's why I don't fully understand why in the regular season, most of the Celtics games start at seven 30. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the Bruins, you look at the Red Sox, all their games pretty much start at seven o'clock for their night right. games during the regular season. Patriots have to follow the NFL schedule, which is one o'clock, four o'clock, eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Why did the Celtics do seven thirty? Is there a benefit to it? I can't can't think of one. Like I, I just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And typically, a, a basketball game goes anywhere from two to two and a half hours, so it's still ending around that nine thirty, nine forty five range. But 
I mean, that seems to be like the number one topic on, on everybody's mind nowadays is like, oh, we got to get the TV revenue. We got to make sure that we have as many viewers as possible. We need to make sure that people are home and, and they're not traveling, that they're not at work. They're not, you know, at their own kids' games or practices or whatever. And at some point, you just have to understand the people that are watching these games are the people that want to watch these games. Right. There's too much content, too much entertainment out there for a casual fan to say, oh, it's 7 o'clock, 7.30 on a Tuesday night, Thursday night, whatever. I'm going to tune in and watch the Celtics because there's nothing else on TV uh-huh. except for every single sitcom that comes out during the, like the fall winter season <laughs> or dramas or whatever people want to watch movies, like whatever edition of bachelor bachelor in paradise bachelorette you're on this year. <laughs> see, that's a little bit over my head, but I, <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about because they do uh, it's an a- ABC, right? That's what has a bachelor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they have like 14 different variations of that show. It's, it's very confusing. It's super confusing, but not as confusing as, and I want to get to this maybe in the, uh, in the second segment, college football. Once again, I tried to, I, I, I can't even say I tried to get into it. I did get into it this weekend because I've pretty much established. I want to watch every Clemson game because I want to watch Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to end up with the Patriots, but just for the sake of, Oh, I have an idea of what he's doing. I want to watch every Clemson game. There's too many teams. There's too many meaningless games. And I never know which one to watch because they're all happening at the same time. That was the nice thing about the bubble for the NBA and the NHL. Every single one of these games was like staggered. So you could watch a full game and then another game would be on and then another game would be on. And it's like you had 12 hours straight of basketball, high level basketball on TV. It was like March Madness. It really was. Mm-hmm. Or like need, an NFL Sunday. I need like, I need red zone, but for college, like that will get me into it. More. Ooh, yeah, that would be good. Because I even, don't know how they haven't come up with that. Yet. <laughs> well, I think the NCAA is struggling for money. As yeah, Bill Belichick that, that, would say, maybe we should have a bake sale or something for the uh, <laughs> for the for the program. But. Um, I thought that the Celtics played well in game six. I would actually say that game six was the most entertaining of all games, that double overtime. And again, for you to come back from a double overtime loss where you really should have won, not only in regulation, not only in the first overtime, but also in the second overtime because you had a lead in each one of those periods of play. Mm -hmm. Give them credit. Give them credit for coming back. You know, I think that they, I think they showed some level of mental toughness, which is going to be necessary going up against Miami. It is, especially like, like you mentioned, Miami, they've been on fire. This whole run that they've had throughout this bubble is, is crazy. All led by Jimmy Butler, who a lot of people have joked whether or not he's a top player in the NBA. And he's kind of showed that he's been able to take a guy, a group of guys who, aren't stars but they're all good players and he's been able to take them and and bring their talent level and and lift it up like guys like jay crowder who we're familiar with around here bam out duncan robinson tyler harrow has been a, a rookie that came on really hot this year kendrick nunn the same thing and then they got andre iguodala for literally chump change um from i believe memphis had them early in the year i'm, I'm not even sure where he came from earlier in the year but they have a, a group of a good mix of veterans and young players who 
are all able to play together and they're all led by Jimmy Butler and one of the best coaches and everybody in the entire world owes an apology to Eric Spolstra for yes. what happened when he, when he had the big three down there. Myself and included. hundred percent. Same, same thing. I, I said, anybody, anybody could come in here and coach all three of these guys and win a championship that could happen to anybody. Spolstra's, Spolstra's grinded his way to getting that job. And since then, since LeBron left, since Dwayne Wade officially moved on, went to Chicago, came back, retired, he's done nothing but great things for that, for that program. And yeah. so he deserves all the respect that he's, that he's getting now. And realistically, who's been their top draft pick in the last, call it six years? Is it Justice Winslow? Yeah, really? Justice? Like, that's it. I mean, there was this year, bam, a couple years ago. Eh. There, there was an opportunity where they had um, Hassan Whiteside was there and he was teamed up with Goran Dragic. And that was kind of like their dynamic duo, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That dynamic duo isn't going to give you anything. And I used to be yeah. a big um, Whiteside fan. Mm-hmm. He's, he's gone the way of the dinosaur now. Just like everybody else that's a big man that can't shoot. Right. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. Um, guys like him, guys like Clint Capella when he was with the Rockets, like it's all these these big guys you pay a ton of money to and then oh wait two years later their their style doesn't fit into your system anymore so you have to get rid of them yeah speaking of the rockets what's mike d'antoni going to do now that he's no longer uh held down by the ball and chain of russell westbrook and james harden uh, he says he's leaving uh, i mean there there have been reports of where he's going to go all over the place but he's not heading back to houston that's not happening no he's certainly not heading back to houston he's also not going to philadelphia i know that was kind of, that's kind of like the popular belief because of philadelphia's yeah. roster philadelphia's roster doesn't fit what d'antoni wants to do d'antoni right. wanted to like murder the center position the center and mm-hmm. the power forward position this year like he was having james harden taking tip offs at times during right. this regular season so like when you can't go from a system where your tallest player is 6 6 PJ Tucker and go into go into have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons who Ben Simmons can't shoot a three and that's your entire offense. Right. Yeah. Maybe the Sixers of like 2 years ago when they had Jimmy Butler and they had uh JJ Redick and they right. yeah, maybe. But um but yeah, I mean as we look forward into this this conference final um I'm hesitant to say that the Celtics are going to win this series. I think they're the better team. I think they're probably the better coached team. You know, I look at Miami as being a little bit one-dimensional. I've said for the last few weeks, they're kind of like old Golden State, but on the East Coast. Uh They jack up threes and they get back on defense. And that's kind of what the Celtics have been doing. And if you remember... Pretty much every single time the Celtics would play Golden State. And this is going back to when all they had was Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford, even pre Al Horford. This is like Gerald Wallace level Celtics. Yeah. They always kind of matched up pretty well against Golden State and they Uh were competitive in those games. I mean, I don't think I'm mistaken in, in saying this, but was it back in 2016, 2017? The Celtics were the first team to beat Golden State in oracle in like a year and a half like yeah. they, they, they broke this this nba record that that the warriors had set so i don't think it's a lock 
that the Celtics are going to win. But I wouldn't be surprised if they take care of business in five games. Yeah, I, I have it flowing right around six. So that, that makes sense to me, right around Celtics and six, Celtics and five. I, you have to take advantage of this opportunity, kind of like what we saw with the Bruins last year, where everybody in front of you, you've, you've gotten the easier path because you've gotten the Bucks out of the way. You've gotten, like you said, the Pacers. You were high on them. The Pacers are out of the way. Mm-hmm. If you don't get to the Eastern, at least to the NBA Finals now, when only the only team standing ahead of you is the Heat, that's going to look bad Come when we look back on it. So there was a narrative on Felger and Maz last week about later in the week about the Celtics. Once they had gone up 3-2 on Toronto, that if they blew the series or if they, or if they lost to Miami in the conference final, it was going to be a failure. I can see, I can see not getting past Toronto when you're up 2-1, when you're up 3-2. Losing to Miami in the conference final when they've, they've probably got the better player. Uh-huh. They've probably got the better player. Like Tatum's not there yet. Jalen Brown, I was pleasantly surprised with this series too. I thought he played very well. Um, if you lose to the Heat in the conference final in the bubble, I don't have a problem with it. Because well, I think- I, anything that happens past the conference final for the Celtics this year, I'm going to chalk up as not real. Because they shouldn't be where they are. They shouldn't. Like, conference final, fine. NBA finals, I wasn't expecting them to be in the NBA finals at the beginning of this year. Right. Neither was I. But you have to, I think you have to adjust expectations when you're going, when you see you're going against the Heat. And yeah, like Jimmy Butler is probably the best player in the series. But I think after that, the Celtics have like the best four, three of the best four. Yeah. They might even have the next four or five. Yeah. So I think, I think you should be able to win the series. And, I don't know if I don't know if failure is a, is the right word because that's a little strong, but I would say it's definitely a disappointment if you lose the series. For sure, yeah, and I think it's it's always a little bit of a disappointment, but like you said with the Bruins last year, you didn't have to play Tampa, you didn't have to play Washington, you didn't have to play Pittsburgh. That's just in the Eastern Conference, and then in the Western Conference, you didn't have to play any of the strong teams either. You get to Game Seven, home ice, and you lay an egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's disappointing. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, am I going to look back at the 2019 Boston Bruins as this big, huge disappointment that, like, broke my heart? No, because I wasn't expecting them to win in the first place. If I look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and the Celtics don't win the NBA championship this year, am I going to be, uh, you know, heartbroken over it? I don't think so. And I don't think right. it's just because I'm not a huge, huge basketball fan. I think it's because I still don't look at this team as being ready. Like, no, yeah, LeBron and, and James look, is still out there. Mm-hmm. That that's my thing is when you get to the finals, you're probably and again we, the the Clippers and and the Nuggets are finishing up their series, I believe, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know who's coming out of that series yet. But I think you're going to end up playing one of the LA teams in the finals, no matter. I, I think the the Clippers end up taking that, and then obviously Lakers Clippers, that could go that could go either way for me. But I think you're going to end up playing one one of those teams, and uh, I don't think you're nearly as good as them. So no, you might be able to steal not. a couple games, maybe one or two, but I don't think you're going to be able to to compete for a full seven. You know, I think that they definitely match up better against the Clippers than the Lakers, but mm-hmm. fuck, there's something to be said about Celtics Lakers. 
And I said uh, on a, f- a couple of weeks ago on one of our episodes when it seemed as though the NBA season was going to kind of come to an end because there was another social injustice thing that happened. Uh-huh. Um, and LeBron James like walks out of the meeting and like the Lakers team follow him and he's like, no, nah, we're not playing. We're not playing. And it's Jalen Brown who stands up and he's like, why, what are you going to do when you leave? Are you just going to go home and hang out like you did for the last five months? Or are you actually going to be active? Cause you can be active in the bubble. Right. And I just love the idea of it won't be played up like this, but it'll be played up in my head. If it ends up being Celtics Lakers, it's going to be, Jalen Brown, who saved the NBA, versus LeBron James, who tried to kill the NBA. <laughs> and if LeBron ends up getting a title out of this, oh, man, that's going to hurt. Yeah, That'll hurt. That would hurt. Mm-hmm. All right, football. Let's go. It's time. So we finally had a full slate of games yesterday, Sunday, week one. I don't think that we're necessarily creative enough to do our own like fastest two minutes recap type thing. But um, let's we'll, we'll start with the Patriots. We'll talk about the Patriots briefly, and then we'll get into more detail in uh, our episode later this week on Wednesday. Um, but what did you think of Cam Newton's first start as a New England Patriot in a post-Tom Brady era? I think it was a lot of what I expected. I expected them to go pretty run heavy, um, and, and that's exactly what they did. They Cam ran a little bit more than I expected. I wasn't expecting him to carry the ball 15 times. But when when you're going into the game and, and you're going to implement these RPOs and read it as well as they did, you got to take advantage of that. He's the first quarterback, I think, to run for 75 yards in Patriots history, which – uh, there hasn't been a ton of mobile quarterbacks there, um, but uh, it it is it was cool to see, and he he does bring that attitude. He brings that those like his celebration, the the uh, the Black Panther celebration, the Wakanda Forever in the end zone after the first touchdown was awesome. And it's a David Andrews for a for a spike after the second one, and then uh, basically fighting the entire Miami Dolphins defense at the end of the game was. It's definitely different, and uh, it, it, he got me on his side real quick. So this is this is what I'm going to say about Cam Newton. I after watching yesterday's game, I don't think I'm a Cam Newton fan just because I'm not used to that style of play. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if you're going to run him like ten times a game, eight times a game, I mean, he what? How many rushes did he have yesterday? Twelve, fifteen, fifteen. Yeah, that's too much. Now. The difference between his 15 rushes yesterday and any time he ran the ball in Carolina, you saw it. He went down. He, he knew. There was, there was actually one sequence where he ran the ball up the gut, got a first down, had like two Dolphins players on him. I think Van Noy was the first one to initiate contact, and he's like carrying them. And then he gets like two or three yards past the first down marker, and he's just like, yeah, I should just go down now. Uh-huh. Like instead of trying to fight for an extra yard or two and risk getting absolutely fucked up by like a, a safety, you know, he's just going to run at you like a fucking missile. Let me just go down and lift a fight another day uh-huh. because I don't watch a whole lot of college football. 
and the Patriots haven't utilized that run pass option or really just the option in general, there were a lot of times that I was kind of like holding my breath on that fake handoff because yeah. it looked like him and especially when he was playing it with Rex Burkhead, like Burkhead wanted the ball and Cam wanted to hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on uh-huh. to the very last second, which is the way you should do it. You know, you should sell it and you should really try and get that backer to bite on the edge. But I'm waiting for a fumble to happen and it's going to be not as bad as the Nikhil Harry fumble, though. That's the stupidest rule in football. Why? I hate it. You can fumble anywhere else on the field and it's fine, but you fumble at like this one particular area and it goes to the other team. This I don't one necess- particular area is called the end zone. It's like, <laughs> but there's all different rules for the end zone. It's still the same field. I, like I don't get why there. It's just like this sacred holy land where the rules of football completely change when you're here. Well, all right. So who should have possession of the ball then? If it goes out of the back of the end zone, or it goes through the end zone out of bounds, you should, should have still possession? have the ball. The, the offense. Why? Because it's like there's no other place where that happens. Right, because everywhere else is just going to be a fumble out of bounds. It's not going to be but a that fumble. That is also out of bounds. It's out of bounds, but it's out of bounds in the end zone. Like, I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, but I understand <laughs> why it's different, why the end zone rules are different. Like I, 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 I don't get it. It's like – the whole thing with the touchdown a couple years ago uh, with the Steelers, I think it was oh, when we played was them. Jesse James, Je- yeah, touchdown. yeah, yeah. That one, no, I get that one. The rules are different in the in the end zone. I'm like, why? Why are the rules different in this one particular area? Because where- you have to establish yourself as a runner or a possessor of the ball. If all you do is catch it, turn, and reach, and then you fumble it, then you never actually had possession. Because what you're trying to do is establish yourself in the field of play mm-hmm. and then make yourself it's, – it's, it's, that's the rule. It's you're, you're establishing yourself as a runner, and as soon as the ball crosses the plane with your possession, it's a touchdown. But if you haven't fully established yourself as you're reaching across the plane and you fumble it, then you never had possession. I don't have a problem with that rule. It, it makes sense to me. So, but, like, if you're running and you, you're reaching for the pylon, I think this happened with – was it Derek Carr last year? It's happened with a bunch of quarterbacks reaching for the pylon and their arm gets knocked and they lose it forward instead of like the two inches to the right and it goes diagonal instead and goes out of bounds technically through the end zone, but it's over the pylon. That's a fumble and they don't get the ball. Even well, though they put in all this work to get down the field, drove the whole length of the field, oh they get it there. God, cry me a fucking river, huh? It's Holy just, er, er, it's just, you know. It's just a ridiculous rule. I don't understand it. I think there are plenty, plenty other rules in the NFL that they should address uh, before the, the touchback rule. What pisses me off about the touchback rule is back in 2005 when Benjamin Watson runs like 105 yards to chase down Champ Bailey and clearly tackles him with the ball going through the end zone. And the officials are just like, oh, uh, yeah, Denver gets the ball at the one-yard line. It's like, And that's, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. No, I don't think it should because that's a perfect example of the opposite end of the spectrum where you've got a guy who is playing for the the defense, you could say, and busts his ass, goes through all that effort, 
and finally is able to get them to fumble the ball in the one spot on the field where they're going to turn the ball over if it goes out of bounds. It's the one spot on the field. Yeah, but do you see how ridiculous that is? There's only one spot on the entire field. Yeah, but it's that- the end zone. The end zone is a different rule. I don't have a problem with declaring the end zone as different. I, I don't understand why. I don't get it. I've, this, I've had this problem for, for years because I, I think it's ridiculous, especially on plays – like I'm talking about with quarterbacks diving for the pylon or players diving for the pylon and their arm gets hit and it just happens to lose, lose control. And there's like an inch of space that it could have gone to the right and it would have been fine. And they would have gone at the half inch line or it continues to go diagonal and it goes out of bounds. And technically the defense gets the ball. I mean, I would just, I would just say to the guy, hold on to the ball. (laughs) You're an inch away from scoring. I guess that is the easy easy play. Yeah, and, and Belichick said it every time. He's like, make sure you secure the ball. Don't ex- don't extend if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I was pleasantly surprised at how well the Patriots' defense played yesterday. Um, I think I'm going to start doing this. I provided a little bit of like a 60 second update. I tried to do it at halftime, mm-hmm. but I recorded the update on my computer, and then I couldn't transfer the video file onto social no. because the file was too big. Yeah. So, all right, I'll just do a post game one. But uh, I said I was. Really impressed with Chase Winovich early on. I thought that he was making a lot of disruptions. I cannot wait for Josh Uche to get on the field. And you have one of them lining up on the edge on the left side, one of them lining up on the edge on the right side, and you just say, go. Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of their pass rush is going to be generated from because there really wasn't a lot of pressure yesterday on Fitzpatrick. Would they get one sack? Yeah, I think one sack was Dark Rivers, I think, off the side. Which I sent a tweet out, the 12 words that I did not think I was going to be saying anytime soon. Derek Rivers has the first sack of the Patriots season. Like, that was very unexpected. But, hey, nice to see him finally get uh, get on the board. What does he have, like three sacks in his career now? I think that's his first one. Is I don't it? think he's even <laughs> – I don't I, I'm not sure. I'm going to look uh, it up real quick. But what did but, you think, what did you think of the, uh, the passing offense? The passing offense, I mean – they didn't throw the ball that often. I think Cam only threw 19 times, um, which obviously is a lot less than we've come to expect in New England. Um, not really any mistakes that I saw that were glaring anyway. Uh, Edelman had the one drop early on the first drive, getting hit at the same time as the ball get, came to him. Um, I mean, they just don't have the weapons to utilize an, uh, an offensive passing attack. Uh, to to the strength that you'd expect a New England offense to look like. Um, so being able to get the ball to Harry five times, James White three times, Julian Edelman five times, that's pretty much what you're going to see. I was a little disappointed that Keen was inactive and Asi Asi I think only played like 10 snaps. Um, so you got really nothing from your tight ends. You got one catch from Ryan as over 25 yards, but the the guys that you drafted just weren't there. So it was disappointing to see Keen, Asiasi, Uche was out, obviously, and Rohrwasser. Like, these are four four guys that you expected to be at least somewhat contributing, and they either were inactive or <clears throat> didn't, really, didn't really see the snap counts you'd expect, yeah, uh, you, at least to start you, off the season. You missed one player, uh, Kyle Duggar. Kyle Duggar. I mean, he was fine. He was fine. What the fuck did he do? He, he, he he get, how many snaps did he get? Kyle Duggar. I have it right here. Kyle Duggar had... Derek Rivers, by the way, has two sacks in his career. 
that's that's impressive. I didn't know Kyle. Uh, I didn't know uh, <laughs> Derek Rivers has played more than two games. Two games in his career. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kyle Duggar played 11 snaps, which is 18 percent of 18 percent. They have a lot of tack. They have a lot of safeties. Okay, but this is the guy that you drafted with your first pick. And I want to get is, it. This is why I wanted them to draft somebody in the first round. This exact goes exactly back to what I yeah. said last week. All right, I want to get into more Patriots talk on Wednesday's episode. We'll be able to do our full breakdown. We'll get more and more into the game. We'll dissect it closer, and then we'll look ahead to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other games that happened on Sunday as well. Let's stick in the 1 o'clock hour. Poor Joe Burrow. Is, can we say poor Joe Burrow? Like here's, you, you absolutely can. He goes to the worst team in the league, and he has no <laughs> offensive line. Oh, no. But he marches the field down. Or he marches his team down the field. And, oh, no, actually, it wasn't a 1 o'clock game. It was a 4 o'clock game because they were playing the Chargers, right? Yeah. Yeah, so 4 o'clock game. But this is, this is the game that's, that's, that's on my mind right now. Marches the Bengals' offense down the field, down three. Gets them into field goal range. Not even, like, to, like, the 32-yard line field goal range where it's going to be, like, a 40-plus, 50-plus yard field goal attempt. It was like a 35-yard field goal attempt that he missed. I think it might have even been closer to that. I think I, I think I saw it was like 31. Fucking Randy Bullock, but of 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 course, fat Randy. And then he after looks so he, out of shape. He looks. He I, always I has. He's, I mentioned it every time he runs out on the field. <laughs> like, it's so funny too because his one job is to just kick footballs. So he clearly doesn't need to be like in good shape. Right. Beyond being able to like have semi-flexible lower body so that he doesn't pull anything. And what does he do on the final kick? It wasn't even fucking close. It wasn't even <laughs> close. It wasn't even like he pulled it, too. He just, like, shanked it, and it went, yeah. like, 20 yards to the right of the it, right goalpost. It missed the net behind <laughs> behind the field goalpost. Like, talk about moving the goalposts, man. Holy cow. He wishes he could. The the funniest part though is that he like he definitely faked that injury afterwards. Too. <laughs> There's no question about it. There's that's no- exactly. I was watching the game with a couple of my friends back here, and that's what I said. I said I would fake that injury too. Absolutely. If I miss if I miss like that, I would be grabbing my leg. I, there would be no chance I'd be playing. <laughs> well, this he game. wasn't. He wasn't even grabbing like anywhere that's there's muscle or like a ligament or anything. He was like grabbing his shin. Like <laughs> what? What did you get shin splints all of a sudden? <laughs> I have no idea what this guy was doing. I'm telling you, Mike, that that get rid of the kickers tweet that you had a couple of years ago. I'm starting to starting to think you might have been onto something. Just get rid of the kicking game altogether. So many kickers I saw missing field goals. Like we they they flash over to the Colts game because I have the uh, one TV with one game on and red zone on the other TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they flash over the Colts game and I'm watching Rodrigo Blankenship, a rookie kicker, watching him kick every time. And I think it was like a second or third attempt he missed. And I was like, oh, well, I, I was right. Like all kickers just stink. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's just what we're coming down to. Nobody Good, can make yeah. a kick. Good thing the Patriots didn't draft him. Yeah. That's all, that's all you're going to hear about Rodrigo Blankenship his entire career, whether it's a year or 15 years. At least it's not like Roberto Aguayo. Yes. Like uh, you want well, to. You waste a second round pick on a kicker who doesn't last a season. This, that's going to be bad. Well, that's Tampa Bay for you. I think that's if there's anything I learned yesterday, it was how dumb Tampa Bay really is. Mm-hmm. Because we'll save that until the end. I want to talk about Packers-Vikings as well. Let's do it. Aaron Rodgers is a man on a mission. He, like, 
is pissed off. I, which I think I would be too. I mean, this is, this was always the difference to me between Brady and Rogers was how Brady would respond to internal adversity. He would always sort of like embrace it. He didn't want it. He wasn't mm-hmm. a proponent of it, but he never had a problem with it in the classic sense of complaining or whining or, or bitching to the media or anything like that. He would internalize it and then he would use it as motivation. And Rogers in the past would just kind of like make it very obvious when he was upset and then nobody would do anything about it. So now you draft quarterback in the first round. Rogers is what, 36 years old, 37 years old? Right in there. Like he's getting up there. He's still a good quarterback, very good quarterback, very talented. Um, he could have gone one of two ways. He could have absolutely just hung things up mentally, physically, and just kind of said, you know what? They want me out. I don't want to be here. Fine, whatever. Or put your helmet on, you put your pads on, you buckle your chin strap, you go out there and you ball, and that's what he did. He balled. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota was the favorite in that game yesterday, which I didn't really understand. Like this home road stuff doesn't matter anymore. It just – it. I don't think it does unless right. you're playing in fucking Kansas city right. where they're allowed to have fans. Unless you're allowed to have fans or you're traveling like extreme distances. Like if you are making a West coast to East coast trip, maybe, sure. but green Bay and Minnesota, I mean, that's like what a 25 minute flight. Like, Probably. <laughs> like it's, it's nothing crazy. Aaron Rodgers went out there and did exactly what I expected him to do. And he played pissed off and mm-hmm. When you get a pissed off Aaron Rodgers, you get a, a pretty damn good Aaron Rodgers. And beyond Devontae Adams, they don't really have a ton of great weapons. Uh, in Not their great weapons, attacks. but I'm a very, very, very big fan of Valdez Scantling. Me too. I, I do like him. I've been, I've been on him for a couple of years. But there wasn't like a ton of guys. There was, just watching that game, I didn't see like a ton of separation from a lot of their players. But Aaron Rodgers just – so damn good when he right. when he wants to be he can he can make these throws all over the place um it's just going to be whether or not they can keep it up for the entire season i think maybe the uh the, the funniest storyline after week one and we're not completely done we still have two monday night games tonight uh pittsburgh takes on the giants at seven and then denver takes on tennessee at 10 o'clock mm-hmm but the funniest storyline so far is definitely the football team being in first place in the NFC East. <laughs> I never would have expected that. When I saw, and I tweeted this yesterday, when I saw the Eagles uh, inactives came out and I saw, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Al- I saw no Alshon Jeffrey, no Miles Sanders, no Lane Johnson. They're already down like a billion offensive linemen. I was like, this is going to get blamed on Carson Wentz. I, I didn't watch a second <laughs> of that game, but I guess they were up by 17. Uh, I think yeah, I think they had a, a pretty decent lead. I, I don't know if it was seventeen, but I know they were they were doing pretty well. So how how much of that game were you able to tune into? Because of course, being a huge Carson Wentz fan, I know it was probably a priority <laughs> of yours. Uh, I was I was following along on on social media and on Red Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, two interceptions, not good. The fumbles also not good. The sacks not good he's dealing with the same offensive line situation that Joe Burrow is dealing with, <laughs> like literally the exact same thing. And he has no one to throw to Zach Ertz looked terrible yesterday and he's getting out shown up by Dallas Goddard who had eight receptions, 101 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Like 
I, I don't know. Like, you're missing your number one running back. You come in and you have Boston Scott come in who's averages less than four yards a carry. It's – nothing Carson Wentz can do will save this team. It's so unfortunate. Trade him somewhere else. <laughs> Here's – like, this is the, the thing that I've, I've learned about you in a very short period of time. You identify talent very well. I appreciate that. But the situation just isn't it's not it's not good. And I don't I don't know where Carson Wentz would fit in. Like he's a big strong armed quarterback that used to be able to move around really well. I would definitely say he's got to be more of that pocket passer now. His mobility after the ACL. It's just it's not a strength of his. So if he starts having that false sense of security in the pocket where he can maybe try and do what uh, Roethlisberger would do and extend the play by bouncing off a guy because he's so big. I just don't think it's going to work anymore. I mean, Chase Young is a tremendous player, and that was really the only highlight that I saw from the game yesterday mm-hmm. was the, the strip sack that he had on him. But it's just it's that like mental clock, like he's not thinking, like he doesn't feel the pressure, he doesn't realize who's coming after him, he doesn't put an emphasis on ball security. And that's very difficult to do. Like, I've never played in the NFL. I've never played organized football before. So I can only imagine what goes through the mind of a quarterback when they've got three or four guys that are 265, 270 pounds at a minimum running right after them, not only trying to knock them through the ground, but also separate them from the ball. It's probably not a lot of fun. Right, especially when you're getting sacked eight times in a game. Yes. I, I don't know, though. I mean, I don't think that the the whole season is going to go like this for Philadelphia. Like, I did pick Dallas to win. Or, Washington? Maybe I didn't pick Dallas to win the division. We're going to oh. have to go. I should have kept track of all this shit. How difficult would it have been for me to just write this down <laughs> and put it right here in front of me so that I'll go back, I'll listen, and I'll figure out what, what our picks were. But anyway, um. I knew that Philadelphia was going to be good. I did pick Philadelphia to win the division because I said that I liked their, their, quarter, uh, their coach better than uh, McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And I was a little surprised. I was actually very surprised that Los Angeles won last night. I thought Dallas was going to go in there and blow doors. I really it's did. Like, it, they, they mentioned it on the broadcast. They're getting back to a more physical style of play, pounding the ball with Malcolm Brown, and it, it was working. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Mal- between Malcolm Brown and Robert Woods, I don't think a single other Rams player made a play in the first half. <laughs> Didn't matter. When you've got a coach, when you've got a coach that just doesn't want to tie the game with like 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I mean, take the three points, man. On the road, <laughs> take the three points. You're not playing the Patriots in Gillette Stadium back in, you know, 2007. You don't right. need to try and outscore them by going for it on fourth down every single time. You're playing the Rams. Uh-huh. Buy the game. Make it a 10-point game. Your defense was playing pretty well. I know that you lost Van Der Esch, but Alden Smith had a phenomenal game. For, for being on good. the field for the first time in a long time, oh, yeah, very, very good game. And then Dak Prescott looked good. Uh, Michael Gallup, I liked Michael Gallup's performance. The problem is it's just like you get to this point with Dallas where all the talent that they have just results in absolutely zero results. Mm-hmm. Maddening. 
that sounds an awful lot like uh, my pick to potentially win the AFC North or at least come in second. I believe I picked them to come in second. Um, yeah. Th- those Cleveland Browns up there. Yeah. I mean, tough week one <laughs> matchup. Not Definitely easy. a tough matchup, but I would expect you to get more than the six points with the amount of talent they have on that team. You would think so. You would definitely think so. I mean, I was m- more disappointed in their defense because I think for them to be a good team, they're going to have to – it's weird. How many teams in the NFL now have gone back to good defense, strong running game? Like Tennessee, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Cleveland should be that. Um, you could make the case that the Raiders do that. You could make the case that the Patriots do that. You mm-hmm. could make the case that the 49ers did that. Baltimore uh, does it a little bit different, but they, they, they do it as well. Sure. Like, we're back to, like, early 2000s football, the right. way that the game is played. It's, like, you still get those high-flying plays, stretch the field, all that type of stuff, the fun stuff. But, um, yeah, it definitely seems to be more of a ground-and-pound game now. The talent on that defense in Cleveland is phenomenal. Like, you've got, what, three or four first-round picks all over the field. And then Nick Chubb should just be – Nick between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you should be able to score, I would say, 28 points between the two of them, either through rushing or passing. Right. And then that's not even to mention the fact that you have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Odell like Beckham should... was absolute dog shit last week. Emphasis on the shit. Yeah, I, was, I didn't even watch the game. I don't know how well he played. I just wanted to make that joke. Um, but, yeah, at some point this year, if – because you can only go through so many coaches when it starts to come down to the, to the quarterback where the blame goes on. At some point this year, if they continue to play poorly, you have to start putting more of the blame on Baker. And I've been a guy who's been yeah. like – it's been all the coaches. It's been Kitchens. It's been uh, whoever there was before Hugh that who Jackson, got fired. Yeah, Greg Hugh Jackson. Williams. Exactly. You when you have three head coaches for now four in like three years. Oh yeah, four head coaches in three years. Yeah, you're going to have a tough time adjusting to their new offenses, and it's only week one again, no preseason, and you're playing uh, one of the top teams in the AFC. But if if this becomes a trend and we start seeing more of this this year. Baker's going to start to get more of the blame. All right, very quickly. Uh, Jacksonville beats Indianapolis. Time is a flat circle. Phillip Rivers down late in the fourth, throws a pick. Not okay. surprised. Okay, I'm going to leave that one there. <laughs> All I'm going to say is I had a, a little tiny back and forth with uh, a Colts fan that works for Barstool. Do you know Mantis at all? Yep. Yeah. So he sent something out about, like, bring back Chad Kelly, and I was like, tank for Trevor Seasons officially on in Indianapolis. <laughs> Could you fucking imagine if the Indianapolis Colts decide we're going to go into tank season? Like, we're going to shut down Darius Leonard. We're going to shut down T.Y. Hilton. We're going to put Quentin Nelson on IR or whatever. We're going to tell people to start opting out. We're going to tank the season. We're going to lose Andrew Luck one year, suck for a year or two, and then get Trevor Lawrence after we had lost Peyton Manning for a year, sucked for a year, and got Andrew Luck. Like, that would be the, the absolute luckiest franchise of all time. If you look at the Colts quarterback's history, it is a damn shame that they only have, what, two championships, three championships? I think it's just I think, two. I think, yeah, I think it's just two. Oh, fucking unbelievable. But, yeah, poor Phillip. Not poor Phillip. Same thing every year. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, big game of the week, though. 
We got five minutes left to go in the segment. Let's spend it on uh, Saints Bucks. New we Orleans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we should. So I don't know if this is my rose colored Tom Brady glasses or not. He didn't play well yesterday. But my God, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers dumb? They're, oh, they're so undisciplined. Oh, my goodness. He's got to be looking around at himself now or at looking around in the room. And he's thinking to himself, what the fuck? How difficult is it to just sort of like not go offside or not make a false start? Or <laughs> I don't know. Let the ball go out of bounds if they're doing a pooch kick. Or if you're not going to let the ball go out of bounds, let's not run into each other when they're doing the pooch kick. Like w- anything that could have gone wrong for Tampa yesterday did go wrong. Again, Brady was not good. That second interception, 100% his fault. 100%. 100%. The first one, there's a debate to be made about whether or not he read the coverage right. But Mike Evans stopped on the route. And I've always been a big believer in if the receiver stops running and the ball is thrown over their head, the quarterback is the one who knows where the ball is going, unless you're like, I don't know. Well, I was going to say Joe Kelly, but he's not a quarterback. Most of the time, whoever's throwing the ball in professional sports knows where the ball is going. Uh, Arians puts it on Brady. I think that's Arians trying to be kind of like a a hard ass and Mm -hmm. saying like, nope, Tom, this is on you. You got to do this. You got to do that. I think, Behind the scenes, Arians could have said to him, he'd be like, hey, Tommy, you know what? I got to go to the media and I got to hold you accountable because that's what they're going to expect. I can't go out there and just be like, it was everybody else's fault except yours. But the defense, up until like the last five minutes of the game, like Tampa's got some playmakers on defense, especially in their front seven. Right. Their front seven may be one of the best front sevens in the NFL. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a really talented team with a lot of really talented players. And I don't know if it's, again, the fact that they're so undisciplined or Brady is in for a real culture shock. He was, he was very down last year when they, he wasn't putting up numbers with the Patriots were still winning. And now this year, like you might not put up numbers and you're not going to win. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that could be a serious problem. Well, um, Scotty Miller was his number one receiver yesterday, right? The Chris Godwin technically had one catch for six yards more, um, but oh, nice. it, was all, it was all right around the same. Um, they made so many comments about Scotty Miller <laughs> being, being oh, he's, he's a Zettleman, he's a Welker, he's a Zamandola. because he's oh, fucking yeah, you, white. You, you picked the small white guy and he's yeah. a slot receiver. People yeah, forget like, Troy Brown. Yeah. People forget um, Deion Branch. I, I'm not going to lie, Chris Godwin – on that first throw Brady had, I think it was his first throw of the game, or it was maybe his second throw. Was it like the 25 or 29-yard reception? I saw that pass, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do we do? And then he runs in, the he, he, uh, quarterback sneaks for a touchdown. He's all fired up. And, and at that point, I was like, this actually hurts. This, <laughs> this really hurts. Even though I watched Cam go out and they, I watched them win at the first game, I – I didn't expect it to hurt like it did Yeah, from, from a fan perspective. See, it didn't hurt me. It was more like a release. And I think that was probably because New England had already won. Mm-hmm. And because I took the over in the Saints-Bucks game. There you and go. it ended up hitting. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, I took Arizona plus seven against the 49ers. Wow. And that one also ended up hitting. Look at you. 
Oh yeah, yesterday was a was a pretty good day for me. Um, <laughs> I love it though, because I know exactly what's going to happen. Everybody's going to start shit talking Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers are going to be one and three, two and two. They're going to be doubting them. They're going to be saying they're overrated. They're going to be saying all this. Brady's done. Gronkowski. Well, Gronkowski is done. Gronkowski's done. He looked, he looked so slow on the field yesterday. He has zero explosion off the line. Mm-hmm. Zero. Blocking a hell of a lot more than I thought he was going to, but not to the same effect. Right. Um, but you know, I know what's going to happen. They're going to start doubting Tampa. They're going to start doubting Brady. And all of a sudden, you're going to find the team's going to be like, 10 and 6, 11 and 5, fighting for that division title, make the playoffs, and then maybe make a run. Brady's going to have to accept, though, this is a league that has gone back in time. Mm-hmm. Strong defenses and good running games win a lot, unless you're the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Like, you have to be that level of quarterback and have that level of offensive talent where however poorly your defense plays, doesn't matter. Your offense is going to cover it up. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of looking forward to it now, though. I'm excited. Like, I'm, gl- I'm not glad that they lost the game. It would have been nice to see him win his first game in Tampa. But just keep doubting him. Keep saying that he's done. <laughs> it's what everyone's been doing for the last, like, seven years. And he keeps proving everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. Like he, he can still throw the ball. Like his touches is, is good. Yep. And once the offensive line settles down, if they settle down, and that's a big if. And Mike Evans gets healthy because he was a ghost in the game. Would he catch one pass for a touchdown? whoop de do. Once they start figuring things out, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And it's going to be Brady doing Brady things. Book it. Book it. it. Put it in permanent marker on a dry erase board. (laughs) Made that mistake many a times. I feel like we all have. Yeah. I have to take the microphone off of the mic stand to, to actually like get animated enough for this conversation though. <laughs> I knew it was getting serious. As soon, yeah. As soon as you saw me take the <laughs> microphone out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I got to lean back because is that a spider or a fruit fly? That's a fruit fly. Um, so last week I had made the decision to uh, travel to New York. I've been, wanting to capture street content in New York for a while now. Um, kind of along the same lines of like uh, street interviews, so to uh-huh. speak. So relaxed, like no, no serious topics, but try and maybe like bamboozle some people into thinking the conversation is going to go one way. And then all of a sudden ask them just, oh, no, it is a spider. <laughs> Hold on. This man is under attack. Yeah. How was it? Where'd it go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Oh, now you have to move. Now you have to move out. Ah. Oh no. All right. I, I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, now it's all like chopped up though. Um, do I even need this paper? I hope not. 
All right, so I've been wanting to go to New York for a while now to capture street content, interviews, things like that, because New York is a very interesting place, and I think I've got some very interesting questions, so I'd like to capture reactions. So I have, over the past several months, been uh, working or uh, co-oping, so to speak, with a couple of my cousins using them as production assistants. One of my cousins has a very nice camera and he's very familiar with video editing. And he uh, has some similar interests to me. He's a sports fan. He's a barstool fan. So he understands what kind of content I would be liking to capture. And basically what happened was I said to him, all right, we're going to go to New York on Tuesday. This was last Tuesday. So what would that be? The 8th of September? Yeah. Yep, yep. September 8th. I said to him, all right, we're going to go on Tuesday. He lives, um, you know where Uxbridge is? Mm -hmm. Yep. So he lives in Uxbridge, and I live in Warren. So that's like 45 minutes from me. He was originally going to be dropped off by his parents because, oh, by the way, he's 16 years old. <laughs> and he was going to be dropped off by his parents, my aunt and uncle. And we were going to go to New York. We were probably going to leave around like 8 a.m. He texted me at like 11.30 the night before on Monday saying, hey, uh, my parents can't drop me off anymore. Maybe we should try and do another day unless you want to come pick me up. And automatically, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is, this is someone or something or the universe or whatever telling me, hey, you know what? It's not going to happen. But I'm like, I'm not going to let anything go in my way. I'm going to bite the bullet, wake up extra early, drive 45 minutes north to Uxbridge. Uh -huh to pick him up, to then drive 45 minutes south, back down to like East Providence to pick up my other cousin, who is also 16 years old. Oh, no. And I was going to take two 16-year-olds to New York City in the middle of a pandemic uh, with, I can't call them race riots, but high tensions among, you know, different individuals in, in mm -hmm. New York. Of course, I'm not just going to like kidnap these kids. So I'm like, all right, you guys got to get permission. So ask your parents. So uh, the cousin that I had to drive that lives in Massachusetts to pick up, he gets in the car. I pick him up at 7.15 in the morning and he gets in the car. And he, as we're backing out of his driveway, I, I stop on the brakes, like stop short, like the whole car shakes. And I look him dead in the eye and I say to him, tell me the truth. Do your parents know where you're going, what you're doing, and that you're gone right now? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> so we start driving. We get onto 146. We're driving south. We get onto 95. We end up uh, texting our other cousin because I told him I'm picking you up at 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And we text him, no answer. We call him, no answer. Like three minutes oh, goes no. by, he, he calls back. Hello? Oh, is that today? Was that today? I was just like texting with you like eight hours ago. <laughs> like, what do you mean <laughs> was that today? So he, he's like, he's getting up and whatever. And I know for a fact he's not showering. I hope he at least brushes his teeth. Um, we get to his house. My cousin gets out of the car, knocks on the door, gets answered by my other cousin. He goes inside. And I'm like, what is he going inside for? Okay, obviously he's not ready yet. It's, I hope it's going to only take like five minutes because I wanted to get going, like leaving at 8 a.m. I didn't know what the traffic situation was going to be like or anything like that. Right. So what, what happens is 
my Massachusetts cousin comes out of the house. No. Big grin on his face, shaking his head, just sort of like that, that face palm type thing gets in the mm-hmm. car. I said, what happens? He says, just leave, just go. I'm like, oh boy. And immediately I'm thinking to myself, he did not ask permission. He did ask permission. He asked his father. No, his no. Father, his father said, uh, I'd really prefer that you don't. It's kind of crazy. You really shouldn't go, but you know, whatever. That was his father. He lives with his mother. So he was with his father on either Sunday or Monday to ask permission. And then just thought, I don't need to say anything to my mother. Uh. As he's walking out of the door to get in my car, I'm going to take him to New York City, take him to Manhattan. He's like, all right, mom, I'm going to New York City. And she's like, what? You're doing what? Where are you going? (laughs) Fucking reads him the riot act, doesn't let him go. I start driving with my other cousin. I, I, I get to probably about like Warwick, West Warwick, Coventry area for, for those of you who know Rhode Island or 95 South. Couldn't even get out of the state of Rhode Island. Smallest state in the fucking country before my, my other cousin gets a call from his mother. His mother wants to know what's going on. And he's like, oh, we're not going anymore, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'll share my location with you, all this stuff. The kid's fucking lying to me. Yeah. Like, he's lying to his mother. I'm sitting, he's sitting shotgun and he's like, oh, we're not going to the city. And I'm like, bullshit, we're not going to the city. Where the fuck do you think we're going? <laughs> he hangs up. I'm like, buddy, I'm turning around and I'm taking you home. I'll tell you what, I learned the hard way. It can be very difficult to trust the 16 year old. I was 16 at one point. You were 16 mm-hmm. at one point. We all try and get away with a little, you know, a little thing here or there. I never tried to get away with going to New York City without telling my parents. No, certainly not during a pandemic with a ton of other like world problems going on. What my question would be: If you're on your way out the door, why do you say you're going to New York City? Right, exactly. Like I, I would say, oh uh, yeah, I'm going to hang out with some friends. I'm going to hang out with my cousin. Uh, I don't know, one of those things. I'm not one for for lying to my parents, but I mean, maybe you leave a, a a small detail out about crossing state lines when you're not supposed to i I don't know maybe something like that but yeah yeah, i guess you can't rely on on 16 year olds i guess guess that's the lesson we learned here no it was and to be honest with you listen i i do not consider myself to be one for manipulation or deceit at least i try not to be i try and be Uh very honest and upfront and open uh Fuck. If I had taken these kids to Manhattan and some shit had gone down and their parents had no idea where they were, I would have been so fucked. Oh, yeah. Big like, time. Thank God I didn't get out of the state of Rhode Island. Like, oh, boy. Someone, I'll tell you, Mike, someone was looking down on me, like taking care of me in that situation because I something would have happened. Something would have happened and I would have been fucked. So now what I'm looking for is uh, individuals over the age of 18 who can do or say whatever they want to do or say, and they don't need mm-hmm. permission from their parents. So if you're one of those people and you're listening right now, yeah, reach apply. out. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it'll be a lot of fun. I plan on going to wall street. I plan on going to seventh uh, Avenue. It'll, it'll be a blast. It'll be a day in Manhattan and we'll wear masks and we'll hand out hand sanitizer to people and we'll try and stay away from the homeless 
and we'll I make sure. I mean, that's sure... not possible in New York. No, it's pretty tough now, I heard, too. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of issues going on in New York City I, that I was not aware of. Mm-hmm. So once again, maybe I don't do it immediately. Maybe I wait a little bit. It's a maybe. plan for the future. We'll see. That's the thing, though. Anytime you're trying to create content, share content, your brain's always got to be moving. You're always got to be thinking, right? Always. Yep. All right, everybody. So that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Moving the Goalposts. But as always, before we sign off, Mike, what are you looking forward to this week? What is your final blow? Football's back. Week one, obviously, we just talked about it. We're going to talk about the Patriots game with, um, with the Dolphins a little bit more. And we're going to preview the next game uh, on Wednesday. And uh, that's what I'm excited for. I'm really excited to look, see Sunday night football, Patriots, Seahawks. The Patriots are going to have a real test on their hands. The Seahawks looked really, really good. I know we didn't really get into them all too much uh, today. Um, but they looked really, really good against Atlanta yesterday. And uh, they're going to have a lot on their hands coming up next week. But I'm, I'm very excited to watch them play. Yeah, definitely going to be looking forward to that one. Back in 2016, they played a really memorable game on Sunday Night Football back in Gillette. And then uh, two years prior to that, they also played a pretty memorable game on uh, Sunday Night Football called Super Bowl 49. Mm. So whenever the Patriots and the Seahawks get together, it's always, always a blast. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit in a different direction, maybe a little non-sports related direction with my final blow. Uh, my Twitter game is on point once again because i've i've finally finished my secret code that i've been working on since the middle of may (laughs) where every single tweet that i delivered started with a capital letter was the letter in a sentence or letter in a word and then the word was in a sentence the sentence made up a phrase and it makes up a secret code i'm not ready to reveal it unless of course somebody wants to go through all my tweets from May 19th to September whenever it was that I finally wrapped things up but uh yeah it's a long message and it took a lot of discipline and it kept me from tweeting a lot of things kept me from tweeting a lot of very stupid things Mm -hmm. because I had to think about every single word before I actually put it out there but now I'm back to it's like the 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 chains have been released and I'm finally able to Twitter flourish and do whatever I want within reason. Of course. So, so I'm looking forward to being able to, uh, to interact a little bit more and, and have more Twitter freedom. Something I took for granted. Uh... All right, everybody. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of another episode. Uh talked about a lot today talked about a lot we're looking forward to the celtics we're looking forward to more football uh always always want to make sure that you guys are going to be following along with us especially with the new format we're going to be much more active on social media promoting the show and uh just kind of like hyping things up uh you can be sure again follow us on our social media profiles twitter and instagram i'm at nick mara mike where can the listeners reach you Find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala and on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Follow the podcast social medias on Twitter and Instagram at moving the posts. Till next time, Mike. Later, brother. Peace.
tell your story. 